Hello, everyone. I can't believe there are only three chapters left of If We Were Giants. And we are going to be reading part three, The Forest Giants, chapter 26 today. Before I do that, though, I wanted to share the author's notes. So there are a couple of notes, one from Dave Matthews and one from Cleet Barrett-Smith. So here goes. This story began to take shape while I was living in New Orleans. I found inspiration in the branches of the beautiful live oaks that lined the streets and filled the parks. I've always loved being in the woods. As a kid, I spent days climbing trees and playing in the forests around my home in New York State. I pretended I'd find secret communities of people never before seen by the outside world. I used to feel like the forest was watching me. Because of my parents, I grew up in different parts of the world, primarily in North America and Southern Africa. I think my love of nature came from all the time we spent enjoying the unspoiled wilderness and the hospitality of the people who lived there. I admire communities that manage to live in balance with nature. There are infinite lessons to be learned from these people. I marvel at other communities that can be found in wilderness too. The complexities that have evolved are astounding. The bivouac or army ants are a good example of a seemingly impossible adaptation for survival. The entire community, the queen, the eggs, the workers, and the soldiers, all live in a colony made entirely out of their own living bodies. By linking their legs, they create a huge fortress to protect their population from harm. At a moment's notice, they can unlock their legs and move on. I imagined what it would be like if humans were able to be like those army ants. What if the small people of my childhood dreams could link arms and become bigger and stronger and safer? It was in New Orleans that I began to think up the characters in this story and how they might triumph over adversity by working together. I told the story to my children. I told it to my friends. They all told me to write it down, my tale of the little people who became giants. The more people I told, the more I felt my story was worth telling. That's where Cleet came in. He made my vision come alive with convincing and distinctive characters. Out of my twigs and leaves, he constructed a fully realized world in which people can live in dormant volcanoes or villages or giant trees. He patiently listened to my ramblings and turned them into a project I am grateful to be a part of and proud to share with you. He is a beautiful storyteller. This book would simply never have been written were it not for him. I hope it inspires you to dream, too. Dave Matthews
The next author's note is from Cleet Barrett Smith himself. When I was a kid, I would hike through the forests of the Pacific Northwest and make up fantastical stories. The most recurring idea from those walks was that there was an entire society hidden in the upper boughs of the trees. I was fascinated by the possibility. How did the community get there, and why? What did the inhabitants look like? How did their secret village operate? I spent hours scanning the treetops, trying to catch a glimpse of them. I never wrote that story, but I happened to mention the idea one day when I was having lunch with my wonderful editor, Stephanie Lurie. Imagine the thrill when she called me years later and invited me to collaborate with a storyteller who had a project that included part of this premise. Imagine my further thrill when that person turned out to be Dave Matthews. Finally, I would get to dive into this idea that had long fascinated me. And then, over dinner with Dave, I learned that his vision also included an epic tale about love and loss, betrayal and redemption, and what it means to live in true community with others, including all the accompanying struggles and joys. It felt like not only a fun story, but also an important one. I was all in. Dave was collaborative and creative and kind on every step of this journey. I remain awed by his passion for imaginative projects. So many people around the world have enjoyed the creativity he has to offer. I'm excited for them to get to experience his story and so grateful to have been a part of it. Cleet Smith. Wow, that almost got me crying. Um, I am definitely teary-eyed right now. But I personally was so inspired by Dave and um, Cleet. And I am so excited to announce that my book called Little David and His Dreaming Tree, is basically done and will be ready um, to go to market probably the end of January. And I really hope that all of you will find inspiration from my book as well. And again, it is a children's book. And I have to say, I was just so inspired by Dave and always have been and I've always wondered what it must be like to have, you know, to just to play with him as a little boy and just have fun and run around and play make-believe and do all the crazy things, you know, wear the capes and jump from rocks and pretend there are hidden societies in different areas. And I really tried to put myself into Dave's little shoes as a little boy and came up with a little tale of my own that I hope you will all enjoy. I also wanted to point out, I find it fascinating that Dave and Cleet both had kind of a different tier in like, let's say, a rainforest 
they both had different stories. Dave's stories was more kind of in the ground area with these, you know, different societies. And Cleet's story as a child was up in the upper parts of the trees. And as you read the book, you realize that there are different people that live in different areas of the um, forests. So I found that fascinating how both of their stories just dovetailed so wonderfully together and created this amazing tale, If We Were Giants. Let's go ahead now and move into chapter 26. Thank you for listening. Tiha blew her horn once and motioned to those in the trees in front of theirs, closer to the river. Tree folk hidden among the branches of four separate trunks leaped into action, jumping out of the limbs and assembling their puppet in an instant. Suddenly four forest giants appeared seemingly out of nowhere and stood in front of the advancing warriors. The people working the mouths screamed into their horns and pumped the levers that moved the jaws, and it looked like a quartet of monsters was bellowing and gnashing their teeth in rage. The charge faltered as the soldiers took them in. These giants were enormous, at least twice again as large as the original one, and Kira could tell by the wide eyes of the warriors that they were looking at more than they had bargained for. But to the raiders' credit, their hesitation only lasted a moment before their battle cries increased in intensity and they resumed charging at double speed. The two groups met in an explosion of violence. The giants smashed down with their great wooden fists, knocking soldiers this way and that, sweeping whole groups of them aside like dolls. The giants stomped, too, their heavy log legs rising high in the air before crashing down on the warriors' helmets, knocking many of them senseless. But there were just too many soldiers. They swarmed the giants from all sides, and soon the huge puppets were wading in a sea of them. Several takers jumped up as far as they could, grabbed the joints of the giants' knees, and hung on fiercely, then climbed hand over hand toward the control center behind each giant's face. The people working the giant's arms had to spend their time and energy brushing these interlopers off their wooden bodies and could no longer fight the ones on the ground. This gave the warriors with hatchets the opening they needed. Rushing right up to the giants, they began hacking away, the hefty blades digging in and sending showers of wood chips spraying into the air. Soon the four towering giants were in bad shape. Three of them were missing arms, where several invaders had climbed up the body, jumped onto the forearm, and hung there together, letting their combined weight rip the shoulder joint right out of the socket. The giants were all stumbling around, their legs hacked up and decimated, threatening to give out altogether and come crashing down. Tiha blew three short blasts on her horn, the signal for retreat. 
The giants turned and limp ran desperately for the trees like scared and wounded animals. They teetered unsteadily on chewed-up legs as they plunged through the underbrush. A roar of laughter erupted from the warriors below. This was going to be too easy. They regrouped into formation and marched resolutely after their prey into the heart of the forest itself. Kira watched the takers move directly underneath her tree, line after line of them, washing through like rolling waves. When the four battered giants had plunged deep into the woods, the tree folk inside abandoned their sections, leaped into the branches of surrounding trees, and disappeared into the leaves. The giants clattered lifelessly to the ground, their parts reduced to debris on the forest floor. The warriors stopped in their tracks, perplexed. There was no one left to charge. Standing in the middle of the trees, they looked down at the pieces of the giants and then around at the still, silent forest. Had they won already? That's when Tiha blew her horn again, one long and steady blast. Attack! Kira and her crew leaped into action, and she traded her stationary spot in a solid tree for a perch in a walking giant. All around, tree folk were doing the same. In a huge circle surrounding the soldiers, giants sprang to life everywhere. Ten, then twenty, thirty, and more. It was as if the entire forest was coming to life to protect this land. That's when the real battle began. Kira lost perspective on the overall picture. Her world narrowed down to what was happening directly in front of her. Tiha's strong brothers were working the legs in unison, and her giant charged directly into the thick of the mass of warriors. Kira held on tight with both hands as she was nearly jolted out of her seat, not expecting how violently the giant would stagger and shudder as it crashed against all of those solid, struggling bodies. She and Luan were working the same arm, and they swung it this way and that with all their might. The wood smashed against the enemy, snapping shields in half and sending bodies flying through the air. Look out! Luan yelled and pointed behind her. Kira turned her head. From a crack between the sapling logs that made up the arm, she could see a raider climbing toward her. He had a knife clenched beneath his... He had a knife clenched between his teeth and murderous rage in his eyes. As she knew from watching earlier, if enough of his fellow soldiers got up here, the giant's arm would be ripped off, and she and Luan would go tumbling into the rolling sea of soldiers with nothing to protect them. They would be stomped into oblivion or pulled from the wreckage of the puppet to meet those cruel weapons. Kira grabbed one of a dozen sticks that she'd stashed near her perch for just this reason. The end of each stick had been sharpened to a point. 
She gripped it in both hands, waiting with bated breath until the warrior climbed right up to where she was seated, and then she jabbed the spike through a crack in the logs with all of her might. The point caught the warrior in the face. He screamed and dropped to the forest floor. She turned and realized that Luan was doing the same thing. Raising her head to look through a viewing portal, Kira saw that their giant was free of climbing marauders for the moment. She also got a broader look at the battle in the forest. It was impossible to tell which way it was going. True, the bodies of many soldiers were strewn about the forest floor. But the giants had taken their losses as well. Some had limbs missing, while others had been hacked apart entirely. The jagged pieces of their construction lying in ruins. The tree folk operating those giants had made the ultimate sacrifice for their land and their people. An overwhelming sadness threatened to paralyze Kira, but she pushed that thought aside. They would honor their fallen brothers and sisters later. First, there was still a job to be done. Tee-ha! Mackinaw screamed. Mackinaw screeched from the other side of the puppet, where she and Kari were working the other arm. Look! Over there! A group of them is trying to break the circle! Kira knew that was bad. Their entire battle plan, after luring the takers into the forest and ambushing them with the entire army of giants, was to corral the soldiers keep them contained, and fight them until they were all down or until they surrendered. If they let the circle be broken, the warriors could hide and regroup, and then the elements of surprise and control would be on their side. For the tree folk, unskilled in battle, this would spell doom. They had to finish this with what the first wave of attacks or else they'd be at a serious disadvantage. Tiha responded immediately. She thrust a brightly colored flag from the top of the giant's head, a signal to the surrounding giant puppets to follow her. Her brothers worked the legs with everything they had, and their giant raced toward the branch in the circle where a mass of takers had ripped down two puppets and were working on a third, making a hole in the line of defense that they could pour through. Kira's giant got there just in time with the reinforcements. They rushed into the hole, covering it like a leaky hole in the bottom of a gourd. Three soldiers managed to slip through before the reinforcements got there. Tiha directed her brothers, and the giant chased them down. Luan and Kira worked the arms in a frenzy of activity. Together they thrust an enormous wooden hand down at the warriors, scooped them all up in a single handful, and then smashed them against the broad trunk of a nearby tree. The warriors fell nimbly to the ground, Their giant worked with the others to repel the invaders, trying to bust through. The soldiers finally gave up, turned, and ran to help in another part of the battle. But it was becoming increasingly difficult for the enemy to find a strategic place to join the fight. 
Although some of the giants were maimed or had been brought down altogether, most of the army still stood. Kira's heart soared at the sight. They were winning. They were going to do this. Oh, no, Luan barely croaked it out. But Kira was able to hear him since they were so close together. Oh, no? She turned to look at him and found an expression on his face of utter shock and dismay. What? she screamed at him. What is it? He merely pointed into the distance. Her gaze followed, and there, back toward the river, she saw the one thing that frightened a forest dweller more than anything else in the world. Smoke. Smoke. 